Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. Rumi, the 13th century Sufi mystic poet, wrote these words, the art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. I love that. I want to live into that much more consistently and much more better than I catch myself doing at times. The art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. Knowing what to ignore. It's suggesting, is it not, that not everything deserves our equal attention. Right? Not everything deserves our equal attention. That some things deserve our complete focus and full attention and devotion and presence. And other things should be left alone. Other things we should ignore. It's a very core concept in metaphysics. We may not use those words exactly to touch upon the same teaching. Oftentimes in metaphysics, we word it this way, energy flows where attention goes. Energy flows where attention goes. Knowing, knowing what to ignore, the art of knowing what to ignore. I remembered as I was reviewing my notes the other day, a story I had heard out of the life of Clara Barton, that there had been a situation in her life in which somebody had done something really wrong to her. And years later, she was in conversation with another friend or colleague, and that incident, that person came up. And the colleague said to Clara Barton, don't you, don't you still basically have energy around that? Are, are, are you not you know, holding something to that? Don't you have any grudge? And Clara Barton is reported to have said, no. I distinctly remember forgetting that. <laughs> I have never forgotten just that line. I distinctly remember Forgetting that. What do you have going on in your life that you've been giving you know, first-rate attention to and it doesn't deserve it? Can you train yourself to say, I'm going to distinctly remember to forget that. I'm going to distinctly remember to forget that. I'm going to use a phrase I've used before, and I've always liked the, the, um, the intent behind these words. Though I remember the last time I used these words, this phrase, somebody wrote me and said basically that it was very politically incorrect. And I spent a long time trying to respond to the person and at least put some context around what, um, what I said and why I said it. For me, these words were words that came out of my experience when we were in, in um, India with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and we were seeing and learning so many, many things. 
And when I came home, when our family came home, we had been so changed by the experience and what we had seen and what we had felt that it was hard to kind of forget what we had seen and felt, and, and nor did we want to. And one of the things that was said to me in that journey were these words. Don't, it, the question was, are you looking at this as a first world problem versus a world third world problem. In other words, the idea being so much that in our culture and in our country, we are so blessed with so many things, and in many ways such an easy life compared to other places on the planet, that the concept was, are you majoring in minors? Are you making, is this just a first world problem and not a real, real problem? And those words, that concept, the intent behind it, even if maybe it's not perfectly politically correct, the intent behind it, I think, is the intent of perspective. To really ask ourselves, when we're struggling with something and we're making something so big, to really ask ourselves, is it really that? You know, like Clara Barton, no, I distinctly remember choosing to forget that. Or Rumi, the art of knowing is knowing what? to ignore, what to ignore, very much the words of the song that Jimmer just sang to us. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. A second teaching from Rumi. And this to me sounds very much like Charles Fillmore, Myrtle Fillmore, the co-founders of Unity. It sounds like, like Ernest Holmes, the founder of the science of mind. But Rumi says it very po poetically. He says, live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. As if everything is rigged in your favor. In unity, we really do believe that. In unity, we believe that everything is ultimately, ultimately conspiring for our higher good on a soul level is ultimately conspiring to grow us, to bless us, to move us forward. Doesn't mean that everything is easy. It doesn't mean that everything is what our human self would choose, but that everything is working in our lives ultimately for the evolvement of our soul, our very essence. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. The more I go into a teaching like that, the more I find myself saying, well, you know, what if that's not so? Right? Do you have a part of your mind that does that? Does she really mean everything is working together for my highest good? It sure as heck doesn't feel like that right now. I have that part of my mind, too. I have that part of my mind, too. And where I have found myself going with that is to challenge myself and say, am I better off believing and acting as if everything is rigged in my favor? Or am I better off believing and acting as if everything is not rigged in my favor? And when I ask myself that question, there's no doubt in my mind that I am better off when I choose to believe or choose to act as if everything is rigged in my favor. And I would dare suggest that the same is true for you as well. 
that we are better off act at least acting as if everything that's going on, I may not understand it now, it may be years before I look back on it and can say that was the best worst thing that ever happened to me, but I'm gonna act as if right where I am right now, whatever's going on, that somehow, some way, it is rigged in my favor. I may not be experiencing the favor part right in this very moment, but I'm better off ultimately acting as if that is so. And the reason I think that, that it works better that way is energetically, <clears throat> excuse me, consciousness-wise, when we act that way, we're more optimistic. We're more hopeful. We're more creative. We're more energized. And those things work together to put us in a better place. I don't know who to credit this to, but I liked this. If something in your life is not yet okay, if something in your life is not yet okay, it simply means it is not yet over. Think about that for a moment. If something in your life is not yet okay, it simply means it's not yet over. Maybe there is something that needs to be learned or seen or something else that needs to take place. Powerful way to live. Third teaching from Rumi. Oh boy, does this one hit home for me. Every Sunday, as a matter of fact. I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. Every time I make sure my microphone is off. Now, we don't do much group singing anymore, but when we used to, I would always make sure my microphone was turned off. Yeah, I know, Jimmer. I still vividly remember my glee club teacher in elementary school going up and down the, the you know, choir risers for who was out of key. And she stopped right in front of me, you know? I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. So much is wrapped up in that. So much is wrapped up in that. To me, in part, what's wrapped up in that is getting beyond ourselves, being able to break through being so self-conscious. And really, when we think about what it means to be self-conscious, it means that we're not just aware of ourselves; we're aware of whatever we think everybody else is seeing or thinking or what they're, they're saying to themselves about what they see in us, right? So a lot of what self-consciousness is about is about an outer-directed, outer-directed. I know, and it wasn't in that elementary school choir, glee club class, that that first got instilled in me. And maybe you know where it first got instilled in you, this feeling of, of inhibition or holding yourself back. I remember being maybe six or seven years old in a family wedding. And I was so excited to be part of this, this family wedding. And at the reception, everybody was gathered, getting ready to go on the dance floor. And I don't remember how it happened, but I wound up being the only one on the dance floor. Everybody else had left. And the MC saying something like, oh, please rescue that little girl. She's out there all by herself. And it was as if I just, I could feel myself. I share these 
little things because I think we each have experiences in our lives that have caused us to step back and hold back and to deny ourselves the freedom and to deny others the beauty of getting to see and experience more of who we really are. I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think, the fear of not doing it right, right? That's why we hold back, is it not? The fear of not doing it right or not doing it as well as someone else. Comparison, competition. And so for some of us, maybe there's new healing work to do or there's continual healing work to do. I ask you to to be honest with yourself. Where are you holding back? Are you holding back? Maybe you're not. But if you are, if you retire, if you pull back, What's that about? And is it really serving you? And is it really serving those that you love and that you care about? Right? A fourth idea from Rumi. To me, this one is very mystical. He wrote, or he said, you think because you understand one, you must also understand two. Because one and one make two, but you must also understand and. Think about that for a moment. You think because you understand one, and you know that one and one is two, that you understand it, but you must also understand and, and. That speaks to me of another important way of living. All of these that I'm sharing with you, I think, point to how to live our lives more aware, more purposeful, more more to our soul's calling. You think because you understand one, you must also understand two, because one and one make two, but you must also understand one, or you must also understand and. I think it's speaking to the idea of divine paradoxes. And we have a lot of them in metaphysics. A lot of paradox. It, it was um, Fitzgerald, I believe, who, who talked about the mark of a brilliant mind is the ability to hold two opposing thoughts. How many of you grew up with very black and white thinking? Anybody? Am I the only one that grew up with very black? It's either yes or it's no. The, the more I have lived my own life, the more I have tried to understand and apply spiritual principles, the more I appreciate that the vast realm of life is in the gray, is very nuanced. That's part of what I think is so problematic in our country today as we divide and we take up sides, black and white sides. And the whole middle, which is much more complex, requires time and deeper thinking and broader understanding. Life is complicated. Life is complex. Not everything falls into a simple this or that. Divine paradox. In in metaphysics and unity, we say that God is imminent and transcendent. 
On one hand, they seem to be the opposite. God within, God without. They're saying both, both. We talk about God or spirit being personal and being principle. Those seem to be contradictory. We talk about a father-mother God concept, the divine being both masculine and feminine. Which is it? To understand, we have to understand end. Fitzgerald said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. Fourth idea, or fifth idea, actually. Am I on the fifth one? I am on the fifth one. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. Yeah, I wonder how many marriages could be saved with that one. (laughs) I wonder how many fights could be avoided. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. Jesus talked about the speck in the log. He said, why are you so concerned about the speck in your brother's eye? First, remove the log in your own eye so you can see more clearly. Then you can remove the speck in your brother's eye. I think he was giving one of the steps in AA. Take your own inventory, right? Take your own inventory. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. It's very much what we talk about as our mission statement, that we are here to learn how to transform our lives. As we transform our lives, our transformed life, our changed life, cannot help but have a ripple effect in the world. But it's not that we are trying to change the other per se. Have you ever tried to change somebody else? I think every one of us should be raising our hand because it's true. Of course we have. Of course we have. And my question to you is, did it work out very well? Probably not. Probably not. It was probably frustrating as heck for the other person and equally frustrating and fruitless for you. We change when we are ready to change. We change when the pain to stay the same is greater than the pain to change. That's true for us, and it's also true for the person we've been trying to change. And the last that I would share with you, and this is a perfect lead-in to the song that Jimmer will sing here at the end. Rumi writes, it's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. It's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. We are here to support each other. We are here in community in the best sense of the word of what it means to need each other. But ultimately, we have to walk the walk ourselves. You have to think the thoughts you think, Change the ones that aren't working for you. Be aware of who and how you are investing your time and your energy. And be willing to make the changes that your very soul is telling you it's time to make. 
These last words of Rumi's are important. Before death takes away what you are given, give away what there is to give. So live your life on purpose. Know that there's something, always something in you to be shared and to be given, to bless those around you, to make a positive difference in the world, and to know that ultimately, you can't take it with you anyway. Namaste. Namaste.